We are studying a very in-depth subject, and I know that they're adjusting my my microphone, so if it gets some sound a little bit, they're adjusting it right now. Uh, we are studying a very interesting subject in the Bible, and uh, we've entitled Syria and Prophecy. And I have stated this back several years ago, and I repeat it once in a while, keep your eye on Syria, because I really believe that Syria is going to play a, a major role in the end time. And uh, I want to give you some things today that it sort of it culminates from all of the other Bible studies we've been giving the last few weeks. And uh, that is that uh, the Antichrist will come out of Syria. I'm going to try to show you that in the Word of God. It's very difficult to weed out, but it's in there. And I'm going to take the time today to show you uh, how that, that's possible to understand that it is. For a long time, I did not know that. It took a lot of years of studying and reading the Word and everything before I really came to that understanding and reading some other material by other Bible scholars uh, that had also proclaimed it, and I could not see that until I studied it out in detail. So I'm going to try to pass along some things to you. If you have been following us along with us here in the last few weeks, uh, this will be a lot easier for you today. If you have not and this is your first time, uh, it may be uh, throwing a lot of things at you because I'm just going to touch base on a few things. But uh, I want to talk to you, first of all, about what we finished up last week. Last week, we talked about what we call the time of the Gentiles. And I'm going to show a little a map up here. I'm going to use the, the, the overhead here has, uh, I don't know where we are with this. Um, let's see, on, yeah, let's turn it into power. We got power here. I'm definitely going to need this overhead working today. Yeah, just turn that on. Turn blue in a second. Okay. When it turns blue, it'll be ready. All right, you stay right there. Stay right there with me. I need somebody here to give me a, It's not turning blue yet. It'll turn blue. This is one of those new modern kind. <laughs> they say freeways are wonderful. Just don't mess up on them. It's because if you do, you get all mixed. Yes. Plug it in with the help, wouldn't it? <laughs> Wiggling the wires. Oh, there it is. It's blue. All right. Now there comes the lights. All right. Now I'm going to put this up here. Now I'm going to focus it like these. Automatic focus. And then I'm going to enlarge it like this. Everybody like that? All right. This is a timeline map. And uh, let me go down one more notch here to get it all in there. That's the timeline map. Most of you are familiar with that, and I talked to you about it last week. This is the Old Testament, 4,000 years uh, here. And this is Calvary right here. And uh, all, all dates, that, as we know dates today, measures from Calvary, uh, the, at least the birth of Jesus, B.C. and A.D., so forth. We are 2,000 years A.D. This is the year 2018, as you well know. 2,000 years and 18 years since the birth of Christ. And uh, this is what's called the church age period of time. We do know that it's time for the Lord to come back and the rapture be taking place. And that's what this represents is the church going up. Now I'm going to go back here because 600 years before Jesus came, uh, 
the Babylonian captivity, the Babylonians captured Israel, captured Judah, the southern kingdom, and along with it was Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Hebrew children that went with them. And they were taken over to Babylon. This is about where this Y is here, or Y and E. And it lines up with this red line down here. And from that time on, Israel has always been subject to Gentile powers and still are to this day. Now, they look, they seem very independent. I, uh, I walk in the mall sometimes, just walk around, and I've met this guy that's a Jewish fella from Canada. And he fought in the Six-Day War. He's in the 70s. And he and I have a lot of conversations because I've been to Israel three times. We discuss different things back and forth. And the reason that I'm mentioning all of that to you is that he and I have talked about uh, how this captivity here caused Israel never to be again sovereign. They are subject to Gentile powers. I won't go into detail on that. But this period of time, from the time that they lost their sovereignty, right on up through the Babylonian Empire, the Media Persian Empire, uh, the Grecian Empire, and the Roman Empire, right on down to where we are and will be until Armageddon. They are subject to Gentile powers. If I can refer just for a moment to uh, Luke uh, 21, 24, I believe it is. Luke 21, 24, do we have a... Uh, overhead thing. I don't know. Luke 21, 24. And then also uh, Romans uh, eleven twenty five, But it speaks about the times of the Gentiles. And uh, maybe one of these screens. There it is. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. This is Luke 21, 24. This is Jesus speaking about the Jews whenever the Romans will come in and, and capture the city. And it happened in 70 AD. And this is history. Uh, but this is Jesus prophesying before it happened. They shall fall by the edge of the sword, the Jews, shall be led away captive into all nations, and they were. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, and it was, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And if you ever go to, to Israel and go to Jerusalem, the Gentiles are still trodden down the city. They're all over walking around. They're tourists, of course, you know. But what I'm trying to say here is that they're still there. But anyhow, this is one. The other one is, is in, uh, is in uh, Romans uh, eleven twenty five, And this is where, uh, where Paul speaks of, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in or be completed. So the time of the Gentiles is this period of time where Daniel, whenever he was first captured, taken over to Babylon, from that time on, they've been subject to Gentile powers. Now, uh, to sort of give us an understanding of that, the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. Daniel interpreted the dream. And the dream was that he saw an image. Uh, if I can show this image like this. He saw a great image on uh, standing before him. And uh, whenever he, uh, Daniel gave the interpretation of the image and said that, it had a head of gold, it had, a, it had chest and arms of, of silver, and it had thighs of brass, and its legs and was, iron, was of iron. And these went on to say, he said, you are the first empire, Nebuchadnezzar, there will be another empire that will follow after you, called the Media Persian Empire. This is what we know today as Iran. And then there is the Grecian Empire that would defeat the Media Persian Empire. And then the Roman Empire would defeat the, and each time an empire would defeat, they would gobble up everything that the other empire had and become the, the ruler of it. And then he said, oh, and finally, way over in the end of time, 
there was the feet that had 10 toes and that the feet would be made of iron and clay. And at the very end, of course, that would be a stone. It has it in, the, in the image or in the vision. That was a stone or dream, I should say, that hit the uh, image and the whole thing comes shattering down and it became like dust and the wind blew it all away. And the stone became a great mountain filled all the earth. And Daniel interpreted that to be this, that in the end, God's kingdom will supersede all the empires of the world. God's kingdom. And, uh, and of course, that's brought out in many other scriptures as well. I won't go any further to say that. But Daniel, that, and then Daniel had no more dreams and he went on living his life until he was uh, up about 50 years old. Now, I want to go to chapter 7 in Daniel. Uh, this was all in chapter 2 of Daniel when all the image thing happened. And I'm trying to stay away from too much repetition, but I'm just trying to make all the dots connect. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel had another dream. And uh, not a dream, he had a vision. I'm looking here uh, in the first verse, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And this is like some 50 years later. Uh, not 50 years, I don't know how many years it was, but Daniel at this point was uh, on up in years. And uh, it says here, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions in his head and upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sons thereof. And then it goes on to describe what he saw. He saw these animals come up out of the sea. And he, and he said that they were, and I'm going to give you a, a, a picture here, another chart. This is man-made chart. It's, it's not authentic, of course, with the scripture or anything like that. But he said, I saw these animals come up out of the sea. And the sea, of course, was the Mediterranean Sea. First one was like a lion. He said it had a man's face and wings, so forth. The next one was a bear. The next one was a leopard. And then the last of all, there's a terrible beast. And uh, the leopard had four wings on it. This is significant. That's what we'll be looking at here today. And then he talked about this last image, and he went on to say that this represented Babylon, the media Persian, and the Grecian Empire, and this, this would be superseded by this, this would be superseded by this, and then the Grecian Empire would be conquered and superseded by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire will continue to exist in a different form than it did militarily in the beginning. And it still exists. Rome is still very present in the world through the Catholic Church through the Catholic Church. And in other words, Rome still has dominion and domain over many countries. And uh, I won't go any further into that. That's a study in itself. But uh, anyhow, Rome is still there. So uh, the Roman Empire here, and then at the end of that, at the toes and everything, there's going to be what we know of today as Armageddon, and the Lord will come. But at the very end of this time of the Gentiles, there's going to be a little horn that will rise up. Now, you're in Daniel chapter 7. I want you to look at the 8th verse. 8th verse. And he says, I consider the horns. These are the 10 horns that he saw in the image like this right here. He said, I consider the image that you can't hardly see it, but these are horns at the top. If you can see those. Consider the horns and behold, there was among them a little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. And uh, Daniel goes on to say down in verse, I'm saving time by skipping down. 
Verse 11, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn or the little horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And, uh, and then he goes on to talk a little bit more about all these things here. Then finally over in verse 19, I'm saving time by jumping on select verses and I've already talked to you extensively about some of these things. Verse 19, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. That's the Roman Empire. That's this one right here. Fourth beast. And then uh, verse 20, and of the ten horns, verse 20 I'm jumping down to, that were in his head and of the other, that is the little horn, which came up before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Now this is a description here of the Antichrist. Look down in verse 24. And the ten horns, this is the interpretation, ten horns of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first. He shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, that is God, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Now, before I go any further, the saints here is not speaking of New Testament saints. It is speaking of God's people, the Israel, who will turn back to God during the tribulation period. I don't have time to go into that, but that is one of the factors that's going to happen. And right now, Jews do not believe Jesus Christ is, is their Messiah. But there's going to be a change in that. I can show you that in chapter 11 of Romans. I can show you that in Revelations uh, chapter 12, chapter 13, where there is a change, chapter 11, rather, uh, and chapter 12, where there is a change, and they will turn back to the Lord. And God, they will become God's people once again. Everything that God has said would happen will happen. They, the Jews today are God's uh, ancient people. They are his dispersed people. They are, they are still his people, but they're on the back burner. But one day he will bring them to the front after the rapture takes place. The church who is taken from all tribes, people, tongues, and nation on the face of the earth. Amen. They are the church that will be caught away. And then after that, God will deal again with his people, the Jews, and make them the great nation that he, implant, he intends for them to be. If you don't like Jews, you're, well, too bad, because they're going to one day rule the world, and they still are a billion people. They are. And it's an amazing thing uh, to, to even study about them. But they do not believe Jesus is Christ. I caution anybody who wants to follow some Jewish guy someplace that knows more about you know, the Old Testament, more about everything than anybody else knows. And, uh, and he tries to lead you off into believing, you know, you don't get baptized in Jesus' name, you get baptized in the name of Yahashua and that kind of stuff. Anybody ever heard that kind of doctrine? You ever get baptized in the name of Yahashua? You ever hear about getting baptized in the name of Yahashua? Because that's the Hebrew version of Jesus. Well, that's not what they spoke in the New Testament. They spoke Aramaic in the New Testament. The Jews did not speak pure Hebrew. They do now because they've gone back and brought it forward and studied it. Well, let me not get into all of that. But anyhow, let me just say this, that God is one day going to raise up the Jews and he will use them. But right now, uh, they are not the, the people of God except on the back burner. God's people today, the church, is God's people because where they did not come through faith, we did. I won't go any further. Romans is full of those teachings and so forth. And so he goes on to say here, that uh, 
and I'm going to read verse 24 and 25. And the ten horns out of the kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first. He shall subdue three kings. Am I sounding too echoish to you? We sound too echoish. Okay. Look at verse 25. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and to think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hands until a time and times and the dividing of a time. A time is one year, times is two years, that's three years, and the dividing of a time is half a year, that's three and a half years. You will find this three and a half years mentioned four times in Daniel and about four times in the book of Revelation when it deals with this period of time here, the Antichrist. And it's speaking of a three and a half year period. And it's the, the end of a seven year period. And that's brought out in Daniel chapter nine, which I'll not get into today. Now, I want to move a little further because this all happened in chapter seven. And it was in the first year of Belshazzar when he was king, grandson. Uh, in the third year, look at chapter eight now. Everybody still with me? If you're not, you're, you're trying to be, right? Look in chapter 8, Daniel chapter 8 and uh, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, King, King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. In other words, not, not talking about the seventh chapter here. He's talking here now about another vision that he had. And uh, he goes on to talk about another vision. Let me put this uh, overhead on the screen if I can. And uh, just hang on a second here. I'm hearing a, I'm hearing a, is there a ring in the, okay, there's a ring, brother, in the system. Can you get that out, brother Joe? I know they're, they're tinkering with it today, so I'm aware of that. Uh, it got out of whack some way or another. Uh, when In the eighth chapter, there's, a, there's another vision that's shown Daniel. Let me, uh, let me read some of these verses here. Look at verse 8, and we'll read this again. 8.1, In the third year of the reign of the king Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel. After that, and it's still, his brother, the ring is still in the system. Uh, appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. And verse 3, everybody with me here. Then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram. Everybody say a ram. Which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher came up last. And I'm going to explain why that what that means in just a moment. Now look at verse 5 in this 8th chapter. We're going to try to touch some bases here in verse 5. Chapter 5. And as I was considering, behold, an he goat came from the west of the face of the whole earth, touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had the two horns. So there's two animals here. The ram, and then there is the he goat. And he came to the ram that had two goods and had, and, had and, 
which I had seen standing before the river and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram and he was moved with choler. That means hatred against him and smoked the ram and break his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground, stomped upon him. And there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand, out of the hand of the he goat. The he goat destroyed the ram. Now, who are they? Look at verse 20 very quickly. Down to verse 20, it tells you. It's very plain here in the Bible. The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media, Persia. And then it says, verse 21, and the rough goat is the king of Grecia. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king, which is Alexander the Great. Now, so what they describe here is exactly what happened in history. It's all recorded in history, and I'll give you some background on it in a few moments here. But these are the four, this is the seventh chapter of Daniel's up here. He saw a, a lion, a lion. He sees a bear. He sees a leopard with four wings. And then he has this terrible beast with ten horns and a little horn that sprouts up. Now, in this image that he has in the eighth chapter, he sees a ram that has two horns. Uh, One came up after the other. The media Persian Empire was two empires that came together to form one, and they became one empire. They were two nations. Uh, The Medes were the first who ruled, Darius the Great. Darius ruled only for about one or two years and died. He was 62 years old when he became the conqueror over Babylon. They conquered Babylon, destroyed it, and took over all the Babylonian empire, including Daniel, who was in the palace, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took them all over and became uh, their, you know, their bosses. And they loved Daniel. And they found out this guy had a lot of wisdom, and so they brought him under their wings. And Daniel became an advisor then to the media Persian kings under him. First, there was Darius. And then there were, after him, there was the, the Persian king rose to power. And his name was Cyrus. And there's a lot involved in the Jews going back to rebuild their temple in their city under Cyrus and so forth. But anyhow, these were the kings. So one came up before the other. After they had existed from about 5, 536 uh, B.C. until 330 B.C., that's about 200 years, they, they existed as an empire. And when they were an empire, I mean, they roamed. They covered everything. They, nobody could touch them. They tried to conquer Greece, but could not. There is a, a well-known movie, I understand. I've never seen it, about the 300, how that the Greeks fought the Persians when they tried to invade Greece. They could not. And this is all history, and it's, it's very true. But when Alexander the Great rose, he was Macedonian. When he came into power, he got the Greeks, rallied them together, and he began to move across that empire from the west going east. And as he did, he took one place after another after another. Alexander the Great was a, was a military genius, and he had devised a method of warfare that was not fought in those days. And when the armies would line up to each other, what he would do is put all his strength in one spot, in one spot along that line that he had, and he'd put his cavalry behind it. And never when they lined up and they went to in that, that one spot that was stronger than anywhere else, he would break through and his cavalry would run through. He'd go in behind the enemy 
and we would route the other side and they'd be fighting behind them and in front of them and they would be totally confused and he would destroy army one after the other. This was his style and his system. Very much like Napoleon. Napoleon was a military genius. He knew how to, he, 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 he built the tier system where those men would stand with those bayonets and those cavalrymen that would run at them. If they tried to jump them, they, they, those horses would fall on those bayonets and die, and those men would fall to the ground, and so they learned not to do that. Anyhow, the, this was military strategies that these men developed that caused them to be conquerors like they were. And uh, Alexander the Great had his system, and so he went and he fought those, per, those Persians, Media Persian Empire, and kept on, kept on, until finally he defeated them in 330 B.C. He conquered them. Now, I'm going to read a little further into, into this because this is a very interesting thing. Uh, he did a fast work. Uh, I think he conquered when he was only 27 years old. He conquered the Persian Empire. Very young man. Uh, he was the son of Philip, who was the, uh, the king of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Macedonia at the time. Let me move on here. I want you to look at verse 8 now, chapter 8, verse 8. Therefore, the great he, the he goat, waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Everybody see that? All right, the he goat. Now we're talking about Greece, and the and the noble horn, the notable horn, or that great horn that was between his eyes. It was broken. So this is picking up now where how he defeated the Roman, he defeated the Media Persian Empire. Therefore, the the uh, the he the he goat waxed very great. Verse eight. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. All right? Now, uh, I want you to stop here for just a moment, and I will tell you this, that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33 years old in the year 323, 323 B.C., just seven years, a few years after he had conquered the media Persian Empire, he died. I won't get into detail telling this story, but uh, some of you, I have told you some of you about it. But in Josephus's writings, who's a Jewish historian, Josephus says that when Alexander the Great came to Jerusalem to destroy Jerusalem, the media Persian Empire, that the priests prayed in Jerusalem and said, God, what shall we do? And the Lord appeared to them and said, go out in your priestly robes and meet him out in front of the city. And they did. They put on their priestly robe and four of them walked out and stood there. And Alexander the Great rode up with their swords pulled, ready to go into Jerusalem and lay it low. And when they got there, they stopped, put their swords in their sheath. Alexander the Great got off his horse and went before him and bowed down. And he says, we will come into your city, give us water and food, and we'll be on our way and we'll not touch anything. That's exactly what happened. And he got back on his horse and one of his generals turned to him and says, what's going on? I thought we were to destroy this city. And he said, these men dressed in these priestly clothes are exactly the men, the man that I saw in my vision Years ago, when I was told that I would conquer the world, they were dressed like this. These men are of God. And that's all he would say. And when he went into the city, he asked them about their religion and their faith, the Jewish faith. 
And they showed him in the Bible what I'm going to read to you here. And Alexander the Great knew that he would conquer the media Persian, and he also knew he had a short time to live. He also knew that, and it happened. Now I'm going to finish reading here what they showed him, and this is what he knew in even in advance. This is what Josephus said. If you don't believe it, take it up with Josephus. He, said, he was a Jewish historian, well-known, well-known Jewish historian. And uh, it goes on to say here, uh, verse 8, I'm going to read this again. Therefore, the he, the, he, the uh, the he go waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven, and out of one of them came forth a little horn. Everybody see the little horn factor again? Which waxed exceeding great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land, and it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And uh, I won't go into that part of it right now, only to say that whenever this kingdom was broken up, uh, let me give you a, a map here. And then I'm going to give you another map here to show you, see if I can connect the dots. This is a, sort of a map of the Middle East. And uh, this little red triangle here is along about where Palestine is here. And this is Italy. Most of you recognize Italy by the boot. Everybody see the boot? This is Greece here. All of this is Greece. Macedonia is just north of here. And this is Turkey. All of this is Turkey in here. All this is Turkey. And this was another empire back in those days. The, uh, the, uh, the media Persian empire was over in here. The Babylonian empire was right in here. Babylon had conquered all of this. Then the media Persian conquered Babylon and conquered all of this. And they, this is Egypt down in here. I want you to notice that Egypt's here. And then Syria lies right in here, right in this area, right in through here. And this is Palestine. This is South Palestine. The, the, the big square circle is a little large. Palestine's a little bit smaller than that. And this is the area where Palestine is. And they lay between Syria and between Egypt. And they still lie there. They're still where they are today. And everybody knows that. And so this is that sort of that map. This is the all desert here. This is uh, Saudi Arabia, and it's mostly all desert. And the, the people travel usually around the edges, but nobody hardly messes across. Nowadays they can because of modern convenience of travel and so forth. But back then the, it was a very rare thing that they would do that. And so what happened that when Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was broken up into four parts. And uh, they went to his four generals. His four generals divided his, income, his empire among themselves. This is why this is important to you. This is another map of, uh, of that area. Uh, and I've tried to make it so that it could be, it was legible here. But uh, this is, uh, again, this is Italy, the boot right here. You can barely see it. This is Greece. This is Turkey. I got it outlined with white. This is the media Persian Empire that was conquered, and then it was Grecian Empire. And this is Syria right in here, right, right in here in Syria. And then this is Israel, and this is Egypt down in here. Now, what I have done here is to try to help you to understand how that these, this, this empire was broken up, because out of one of them comes this little horn. Everybody still with me? And that's what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to, uh, show you here today. Uh, let me 
Let's see here. I think it's over here. Let me put these numbers up there. Let's call this one. This is the uh, Macedonian. Greece and Macedonia, we call it number one. We'll call Turkey. Number two. Can you see those numbers? And this is the uh, Syria. And Syria went all the way across over to Persia. This is interesting. So that Persia and Syria were the same, were together. Number four here was, was Egypt. And then a little arrow here points to Palestine that's between Syria. And this is all uh, very professionally done, as you can see. <laughs> that's that's uh, Palestine right in there. All right, now, what I'm trying to show you here is that these kingdoms were divided and that God uh, had a purpose and a plan for all of it. Turkey here was, uh, was given over to an, uh, one, his general called Antigonus. Antigonus was one of his generals that took this, uh, not Turkey, but Macedonia and Greece. Uh, Alexander the Great had a retarded son, and he took that retarded son, used him in order to get himself on the throne. Antigonus did. And then there was Antipatris. Antipatris was the one who took the one they called Turkey. He took this section of the empire, and that became his empire. And then there was the one called Ptolemy who took Egypt down here, Ptolemy, spelled with a P, P-T-O-L-E-M-E-Y. And then there was the, uh, the Syrians here, and it was called Seleucus. Seleucus was the general who took over Syria, and he took everything from Syria to the, to the Mediterranean Sea all the way back across Persia and took much of Persia. And then there was another fifth general that took some of the people over here, but he, he, he did not last long, and this all fell back in the hands of the uh, Hinduism and other religions of that area, so forth. Now, I'm just showing you here how that this was divided here, these four parts. And these, this, these people here were called the Diodashi, and the Diodashi was, it means successor, and the Diodashius uh, is a successor, but Diodashi is successors in general. So this is called the Diodaches. And the, the, the Diodache here uh, is called the War of the Diodache this period of time. And for the next hundred years or so, these empires fought each other constantly. They're always at war with each other. And it's called in history the War of the Diodache. And uh, they, sometimes one leader would die and another would take his place. And, and another, number one, number two here. And it was up going back and forth. The thing that the Bible zeroes in on, and it forgets about these two up here. It just takes them off. In other words, they fight each other from then on. It, it begins to zero in on this one and this one, which is Syria and Egypt. And the reason for it is because they were on each side of Israel. And the one that is, was Syria is called the kingdom of the north because it's north of Jerusalem. Everything is measured from Jerusalem in the Bible. If you study the Bible, you'll find that to be so. And everything is up to go to Jerusalem. 
I don't care what direction you're going, you go to Jerusalem, you go up, and you go to, from Jerusalem, you go down. I mean, some of you know that already. God bless you. And then, number, and then Egypt here was called the kingdom of the south. So the Bible talks in these verses here that's coming up, it talks a lot about the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south and how that they fight each other. And folks, this is all so true in history. All through history you find this, this warring back and forth. The Ptolemies and the, and Seleucus, uh, the Seleucia dynasty, they fought and fought and fought and fought and fought. The Ptolemy dynasty uh, lasted until Cleopatra, that was in the Roman time. She was the 12th of the dynasties, and she was her, you know, handed down, right on down, the last of her period, about 300 years and everything. And then after that, it picks up again in a different way, and it goes on. Now, I'm going to read some verses to you here in the Bible. Uh, I want you to see here, we're in chapter 8, and I want you to look with me, if you would, in, uh, I think I want to see it, verse 15. All right, verse 9. Let's go to verse 9. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great. I'm in 8-8 eight, eight now. 8-9, eight, rather. Toward the south, toward the east, toward the pleasant land. Notice that. And it waxed, very, it waxed great even to the host of heaven. Uh, I'm going to jump down to verse 9, verse uh, uh, 15 here to save time. And it came to pass that when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for meaning, then, behold, there stood before me of the appearance of a man. And it went on to say this was Gabriel. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Eula, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near. Gabriel now talks to Daniel. Came, and, went, and I was afraid and fell at his feet. And then it says, understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Everybody see that? Now, it goes on to talk about things that will happen. Like in verse 19, he says here, and he said, behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. The indignation is Israel being subject to Gentile powers. It's mentioned in other places as well as even mentioned in the book of Revelation. The end of the indignation, whenever the Jews are subject to another empire in, in, at the time of the Gentiles, in other words. And it's the, at the end of the indignation, for at the time appointed, the end shall be. It goes on to say here, and then verse 20, the ram which thou sawest, the two horns of the of Persian, and the he-goat is the great horn, which was great horn that is between his eyes. And then in verse 22, now that being broken, that is Alexander the Great dying, Whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, out of the Grecian nation, but not in his power, not in the, the not in Alexander the Great's power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, everybody see that? We're talking about now projecting way over to the end of time. Latter time of their, latter time of their kingdoms, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy wonderfully or wondrously or amazingly. It means amazingly here, not nice, but bad. And shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people, which are the Jews. And the reason that the Jews are the ones involved here is because that Michael, who is the angel that will fight for them, 
is the, is the, is the angel of the Jews. I won't get into detail there, but I can show you two or three scriptures on that. But anyhow, they, uh, they will fight for them. And, uh, let me look it down in uh, verse 25. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart. I'm looking at the clock there to make sure I don't go over time. And uh, by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. But he shall be broken without hands. And the vision of, e- of the evening and the morning, which was true, uh, is told is true therefore shut them up vision for it shall be for many days in other words what Gabriel was saying I'm showing you this vision but it's going to be way down at the end of time it'll be a long time away and then in the, uh, then, the then the vision ends and then in the ninth chapter the Lord shows Daniel some things to do with the coming of the Messiah that's the Jesus very prophetic and very good I want to jump to chapter 10 very quickly because in chapter 10, he has another vision here. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that all happened in the first year, third year of Cyrus, uh, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name is called Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, not Belshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding to the vision. And so from here, he begins to explain. Now, verse 14, jumping down very quickly to 1014. Now, I am come to make thee, this is uh, Gabriel again, I understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. I'm trying to point out to you here that the, tenth, the seventh chapter and the eighth chapter talks about the little horn, and it's going to be for the end time. It's going to be the latter time. It goes on. And it talks about all these things that will happen right on down through that 10th chapter and even into the 11th chapter. And we'll get to this real quickly here. Look at verse 3, 11-3. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided between the four winds. This is talking about Alexander the Great again of the heaven and not in his posterity nor according to his dominion which he ruled. This is a new, another interpretation. For his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside these. And then it says, in the king of the south. And then it goes on to say, verse 6, and in the end of years they shall join themselves together. Then he talks about the king of the south, the king of the north. And from this fifth verse on, this phrase, the king of the south and the king of the north, warring back and forth, goes on through chapter 11, way all the way through chapter 11, many verses. It talks about the struggle that goes on between these two empires and Israel is caught in between. And this is what a lot of uh, the writings of the, the years between uh, Malachi and, and Matthew are. It's all about this war that has happened between the Syrians and the Jews. And then finally on down to the end. And I'm going to jump to the end because my time is gone. I want to read this verse of scripture to you here. And it goes right on down. I'm going to save time by going very quickly here to verse 35. And some of them of understanding shall fall and try, try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed, still yet for a time down the end. And then verse 36, and the king shall do according to his will. He shall exalt himself. This is now the Antichrist. 
and shall magnify himself above every God and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. That's that time of the Gentiles be all over with. For that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. Without going into detail here, some say that the Antichrist will be a homosexual. I'll leave it there for right now. There are other views on that as well. Nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all, all. And it goes on to say, verse 39, thus he, he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. He caused them to rule, so forth. Down in verse 41, he shall enter also into the glorious land, that's Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of your sight, Edom, Moab, and the chief children of Ammon, which is the country of Jordan. I'm going to read these and finish up here. Verse 43, and my time is now is gone. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold, silver, and over all the treasures, precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians, and shall be at his steps. But the tidings out of the east shall, and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. That's in Israel. That's in Palestine. That's where the temple mount is. And he's going to put his palace there. Yet he shall come to end because he wants to be worshipped as God. And this is what Thessalonians 2 and 3, what Paul says. I'm going to Thessalonians 2 and 3. I've got to connect this. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And he goes on to talk about verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and so forth. Now, I won't go any further about it, but I'm just trying to show you here that both chapter 7 and chapter 8 talks about the Antichrist. And when you come down to chapter 11, it talks about him as well. And when you go into chapter 12, chapter 12 is the wrap-up of Daniel and ties in real closely with the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. And I just want to tell you here today, folks, that we are coming close to the end time. And the Bible gives us these things, and I think that all of us should understand that uh, God is, is wanting us all to be saved. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, but you want to walk with God, be faithful to God, serve the Lord, love him with all your heart. And one of these days, you'll hear the trumpet sound. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, ask God to give it to you. Without his spirit, we're none of his. If that spirit that was in Christ dwell in us, it shall also quicken our moral body. Let's stand together and worship God.